Well, welcome to Easter Sunday. I, I started going to church, I think it was about six months before I was born. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, my parents always had us at church. And I'm so thankful and so grateful to mom and dad that you did. Uh, it meant a lot. It, it, it shaped uh, who we who we became, how we viewed life. Uh, it, it, it had a, a profound influence on our family, on our world. Uh, but because of that, I, I grew up in a lot of Easter Sundays. They were part of our experience every year. And while understanding and excited about what it meant for salvation and eternity with God in heaven, I was left with a lingering question. Other than eternity, what does it matter? I'm not saying eternity isn't enough for it to matter, but I'm saying other than for then, what does it matter for now? And I thought if the value of the power of the resurrection is only for eternity, one, it's not that powerful. And I don't mean to discredit it at all. I'm just saying if it doesn't have a powerful effect right now, if the value is only for then, well, one, it's not that powerful. And two, let's just go there now. I mean, if, 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 if the resurrection is so incredibly powerful... I just have to make it through now to experience the power of it then. Well, why, why go through the hassle of now? Right? None of you agree with me? Maybe your 2020 was fantastic. Like, let's just get there then. It, 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 the resurrection has to have some benefit. It has to have some value right here, right now. At least that was my conviction. And, and again, because I've been around the church deal a long time, I don't, if I'm honest, I don't see a lot of church people with resurrection power in their lives right now. Why is that? There's a lot of faith in church for eternity. But I don't necessarily see, and maybe I obviously miss a lot, but I don't see a lot of resurrection power right now. And so today, today I don't have a lot of instruction for you. But I do have a lot of hope and a lot of encouragement. Because the Bible has a lot to say about what, what and why and how the resurrection matters right now. We've been in this series on the attributes of God, answering the question, who is God? And we wrap up the whole series today with this final attribute that we'll look at. And this attribute comes from 1 John 4, 8, and it says, God is love. And the attribute that we have to consider, we have to understand, is, that, is this attribute of love. Now, please understand what I'm saying, understand what the Bible says. God doesn't have love. God doesn't possess love. God doesn't just experience love. 
To say that God has love or possesses love or experiences love would indicate that love is something outside of God that God can then possess. No, please understand what the Bible says, that God is love. He doesn't have love. He is love. He doesn't possess love. He is love. He doesn't experience love. He is love. And all that love is, is wrapped up in who God is. Now, please understand, the Bible does not say that love is God. Don't make that mistake. God is love, but love is not God. See, here's what I mean. If we were to say that love is God, then we would say that God is a part of whatever I love. And that's not the truth. Love is not God. We can love things in a way that's contrary to God's standard. We can love things that ought not be loved. We can give preeminent love to that which should only go to God. Two other things. So love is not God, but this is significant. God is love. And if, if you have a view of God that leaves out love, you have an incomplete vision of who God is. Because God is love. In these 15 attributes, we've looked at 15 different attributes in this series. Um, when in the first service when Caleb was wrapping up the service, he said, this has been a great wrap up to the series and it has been a long series. I don't know if he meant to offend me that way or if it was just a statement of fact. I'll take it as a statement of fact because it is, has been in fact a long series. 15 attributes we've looked at. We started looking at the attribute of the Trinitarian God who was one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, who was one God. What we saw was perfect love between Father, Son, and Spirit. We then looked at the attribute of God's omnipotence, where we saw perfect love existing in perfect power. And then we looked at the attribute of God's omnipresence, the fact that there is perfect love always present. And then we looked at the attribute of the omniscience of God, perfect love with all power and all knowledge. We then looked at the the attributes of the eminence of God together with his transcendence. And we saw an eternal perfect love that is always with us. And then we looked at the attribute of his holiness, that there was perfect love in perfection and holiness. And then we looked at the attribute of truth and we saw perfect love together with perfect truth. And then we looked at the attribute of righteousness where we saw perfect love without error. And then we saw the attributes of graciousness and goodness that is God. And we saw perfect love that expresses blessings to us when they are undeserved. And then we saw the attribute of faithfulness that we saw a perfect love that is perfectly reliable. And last week we looked at the attributes of justice and wrath. And we saw a perfect love that indeed has a standard and holds humans accountable. God is perfect love. And in God's perfect love, because that is who he is, he has made a perfect way to be right with a perfect God. One of the attributes that we have to understand that, that I haven't talked about yet, but I want to introduce it at least, is an attribute called uh, impassable. What that means is God is not driven by passions. He's impassable. He's not driven by passions. 
And that's important for us to understand about God because please, what it means for God not to be driven by passions is that he's not impressed by our performance nor depressed by our failure. If God were driven by passions, when we did well, he would be like, wow, that was surprising. Thank you so much. And when we did poorly, he would be depressed and he is neither because he's not driven by passion. Do you understand? Do I need to say that part over or are you cracking with me? Here's the thing. If God were driven by passion, how impressive would you be to him? Like if he were driven by passion and got really excited when you did well, how, how? Now think of the corollary. If he were driven by passion, how depressed would you make him? Do you understand? So it's important for us to understand that God is impassioned. He's not driven by passion. God is not overwhelmed by any emotion, nor is he incapacitated, weakened, nor stifled by any event. No matter the grief, the effect, God is not driven by passion. And that's important because God is completely self-controlled. Which means that God is always love. He doesn't have love to give when you've been good. He doesn't withhold love when you've been bad. God is love and he is impassable, not driven by passion. So all the time, every time, all day long, every day, God is love towards you and towards me. And that is so important because who God is, is who he always is. And he is love. Regardless of you and me. And that's good news. See, all of God's attributes are ultimately expressions of his love. Because God is love. In the letter to the Corinthian church, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that three big things remain, faith, hope, and love. And Paul says, but the greatest of those is love. As good as faith is, love is greater as good as hope is, love is greater. Faith, hope, and love will remain, but the greatest of those is love. See, here's what we have to understand. The greatest expression of God's love is the cross of Christ. The greatest expression of this God who is himself love is the cross of Christ. I want to help you understand this love. It is a love that has been there from eternity. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love. I have drawn you to myself. This love has been an everlasting thing that has always been present. Our experience of it may be new and fresh, but it has been from everlasting and will be to everlasting. What we learn in Romans 5.8 is that God showed his great what for us? I feel like you knew the answer. Don't be afraid to say, I'm going to give you a hint now. I'm going to ask you to say one word. It's going to start with L. And it's going to end with of. And it's what we're talking about today. Romans 5 8 says, But God showed us his great what? Love. love. He showed us his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. 
before I did anything worthy of love. He already decided to send Jesus to die for my sin. What we know of this love is because of his what? Love. God had already decided through Jesus Christ he would make us his children. Not because I deserve it. Not because I'm worthy of it. Not because he was obligated to. Not because he had to. But simply it was his pleasure and his purpose. Because of his love. Before you done anything to deserve it. Before you did anything to negate it. Which could never be negated. It was his pleasure and his purpose. He didn't have to. He chose to. It's not that he was propelled to. He was compelled to. It was his pleasure and his purpose. And all of this is proof of his unconditional love. Before we ever do a breath. Before we're ever on the mind of our mommy and daddy. The Bible says, 2 Timothy 1.9. He saved us and called us to be his own people. Not because of what we do. Not because I got my life right. Not because I quit drinking, quit smoking, quit cussing, and quit dating those girls who did all those things. Not because of anything I had done. But simply because of his own purpose and grace. That he gave us this grace by means of Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. That God in his godness looked down through the quarter of time before time was even a thing. And he said, I'm going to see Bob and I'm going to see Phil and I'm going to see Pat and I'm going to see Betty. And I'm going to choose to love them and send my son. Not because I have to, not because they even exist to do anything good, but simply because of my love. It is eternal and unconditional. Now, there's another element to God's love that we have to understand. And it has profound implication on our lives. It's love and power. See, love and power go hand in hand. And while I said earlier that the greatest expression of, of God, God's love is the cross of Christ, the greatest expression of God's power is the resurrection of Christ. And they go hand in hand. To have power without love, you, have, you, you miss the resurrection. If you don't have both. The greatest expression of God's love is the cross of Christ. The greatest expression of his power is the resurrection of Christ. And this is why the resurrection matters. Not just for eternity, but for right now. This is why it matters. God's love sent Jesus to the cross, and God's power raised Jesus from the dead. See, here's why these two things are so important. Love without power is sentiment. Power without love is dictatorship. But love with power is resurrection. And we have to understand this about who God is. He is a God both of perfect love and of perfect power. And those were displayed on the cross and the resurrection of Christ. See, to love something but have no power in that life is simply sentiment. It's a warm, fuzzy feeling that is of no effect. But to have power without love is simply totalitarian dictatorship. You obey my rules and you do what I say or the hammer's going to fall. And neither of those things without the other is of any good consequence. But love and power together of God is the resurrection. And that's why this day matters. I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job right now. 
Thank you. I am not above a shameless plug for an agreement. This is why this matters. Listen, Easter is love and power on display. Do you understand? When the love of God was expressed in the power of God, and the power of God was expressed in the love of God, and when those things are present in a life, even a dead life, resurrection happens. And once we see and experience the power and the love of God together in perfect union in the resurrection, it changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. And it changes how I see you and treat you. And it changes how you see and treat me. And it changes how we see and treat others. And it forces us to ask the question, how is my power expressed in love? See, whether you realize it or not, you have power. You have power to do and you have power not to do. Every one of you. You have the power to do, and you have the power not to do. And this is what I mean. You have the power to do, and in relationships with other people, it means deferring to them. Philippians 2, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or from a cheap desire to boast, but be humble toward one another, always considering others better than yourselves. And look out for one another's interests, not just your own. See, we have, because of love, we have the power to do. And what we do is defer to them. Do you understand? Do you understand? And we have the power not to do. And we exert that power by denying ourselves. 1 Corinthians 10, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So we have the power to do, defer to them, and not to do, deny myself. And when we don't exert our power in deferring to others, it's only love in sentiment. And when we don't exert our power in denial of ourself, it's selfishness and dictatorial rule. And all of those ruin relationships. Now, where we saw this power to do and not to do was best fleshed out and modeled for us an example in the life of Christ himself. Because Jesus had love and power both to do and not to do. And the love and power of Jesus chose him to do, which was to, to, to defer to us. The Bible says in Philippians 2, instead he, Jesus, gave up his divine privileges and deferred to us. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being in deference to us. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross, not for his benefit, but for our benefit. So Jesus took his love and expressed his power and chose to do in deference to us what was for our best. Do you understand? 
You tracking with me? And we saw this fleshed out in Jesus's life over and over, both the power to do in deferring to us and the power not to do in denying himself. The Bible says he offered no defense. Isaiah 53, speaking of him, says he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word, denying himself. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and denied himself. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth and denied himself for us. Love and power on display. Remember, love without power is sentiment. Power without love is dictatorship. But oh, in Christ, love and power is resurrection. So you want to resurrect your marriage? Love and power. Exert your power to defer to them and exert your power not to do and deny yourself. Resurrect your marriage. You know, the Bible says, in speaking to husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands have the unique role and call from God on our lives to lay our lives down for our wife and to love her other than myself. Husbands, you want to resurrect your marriage? You have the power to do. Defer to her. Do you understand? I, I, I don't know what TV land like or overflow. I'm sure they were much more agreeable. <laughs> How many of you wives like, would you say that one again, please? Just do that. I think he fell asleep. <laughs> right? <laughs> you husband's like, okay, get off me, dude. Get onto her, right? Like, like say something about her. I want to move on. <laughs> hey, you want to resurrect your relationship with God? Love and power. Exert your power to do and defer to God, and exert your power not to do and deny yourself. The Bible says, take up your cross and follow. So in my, remember how I told you when I was young, growing up in church, I always wanted to know, what does this matter for right now? Like, I'm happy I'm going to heaven, believe me, because the alternative would be hell. <laughs> uh, but, like, what does it matter now, right? Did, did you know that the Apostle Paul prayed that we would know what it matters now? The Apostle Paul said a prayer over me and over you, and it was his continual prayer that we would know by experience the power of the resurrection in our daily lives. I don't know if you're aware of that. It was back in, uh, in probably the late 90s, early 2000, I came across this prayer from the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians. And I'm reading this, and I, my mind just went, what? Like, that's his prayer for me? And so I figured if it's, if it's a good enough prayer for Paul to pray for himself and for me, it's a good enough prayer for me to pray 
for me and my family. And so since that day, uh, uh, shoot, that, that's, been, that's been a couple decades now. I've been praying this prayer daily over me and over my family. Here's the first part of it. It's from Ephesians 1, verses 17, 18, 19, 20. This is the first part of that prayer. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, he says, I keep asking over and over and over and over and oh, I ask the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I ask over and over and over that God will give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know God. Here's the thing. There's a lot of press right now in knowing yourself. That is of some benefit because self-ignorance is self-destructive. But of ultimate benefit is to know God because God-ignorance is self-damning. I pray that the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better. And then Paul prays what it would mean to know God better. This has been my prayer every day for decades for me and my family. Pay attention to this. This is why the resurrection matters right now. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Pay attention to this. This is why the resurrection matters right now, in your life right now. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people right now. And then he says these words. And that you would know his incomparably great power for us who believe. If you don't believe, you don't get to experience this, but if you do, it is yours. That power that I pray that your eyes of your heart would be enlightened to know by experience this incomparably great power, that power is the same power as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. That's why the resurrection matters, because it is that power that God exerted in raising Jesus from the dead physically that we have the right to experience in our daily life. This was the prayer of the Apostle Paul. He wanted us to know. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be Does your heart have eyes? No. Your heart is the emotion. It's, the emo it's like the, the, the oomph of you. But the eyes have the knowledge. He says, I want the oomph of you to have knowledge of who this God is and to his power. This is for us who believe. So if you believe and you are a Christ follower, please understand that we should know by experience, just not faith, that we serve a God of living power who shows his strength in the real world on behalf of his people. My perception is that there's a lot of Christians who indeed will be in heaven, but who do not know and have not experienced this power while on earth, or who know it only from a distance, through the pages of Scripture or through another's experience of it. Here's the thing. This was Paul's desire for us to know. He knew it. 
He experienced the power of God that was exerted in the resurrection of Christ. He knew it. He felt it. He lived it. And it was his prayer that we would too. So why don't we? Why don't you? Maybe you're not aware. Just think with me for a moment. If you have, if your PG&E bill has been paid, it's PG&E's responsibility to provide electricity to your home. Is that correct? Absolutely, it's correct. There's power, if the bill has been, there's power running to the socket. There's power running to the light switch, right? Right? The responsibility on PG&E's part, because the bill's been paid, is to provide the power. Is it their responsibility to turn your light switch on for you? Whose responsibility is it to flip the switch? Huh? It's your own. So while the legal right to access power has been in effect, and though the bill has been paid and the power is sitting there at the junction box, if you don't flip the switch, you don't access the power. Do you understand? So you can have a legal right to the access to the power to illuminate your life in your house. But if you don't flip the switch, you destined yourself not for lack of power, not for lack of legal right, but you destined yourself to forever live in darkness. You understand? I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened to know The hope to which he's called you, the glorious inheritance that is yours, and the incomparable power that's the power that raised Christ from the dead. <laughs> the resurrection changes everything. God wants, understand this, Christian. God wants resurrection power to be experienced in the life of every Christ follower. See, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is waiting to raise the drunk from the bottle. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is waiting to raise the violent from his anger. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is waiting to raise the addict from the addiction. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is waiting to raise the self-righteous from their religion. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is waiting to raise the fearful from dread. And dare I say it, yes, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is waiting to raise the infirm from their affirmity. The power of Christ. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. What Paul is saying is, I want you to perceive this with your eyes, just not to feel it in here, just not to hope for it out there, but for you to see it with your eyes. It's active and takes place in the real world. Here's what the Bible says in verse 19, that you would know the incomparably great power for us who believe. That word incomparably, it's used three times in all of the New Testament, and it means this power exceeds anything 
that you have ever, that humanity has ever experienced before. It's an incomparably great power. That word great is megathos. It's used one time on all of scripture, right? It's a word that Paul coined and Paul used unique to this situation. It is unique. It's only used one. It is this great incomparable power that has never been experienced before. It is a power that is, it's the Greek word dunamis. Guess which English word we get from dunamis? Huh? Dynamite. Any J.J. Walker fans out there? <laughs> Dynamite. And this power, I don't know if you realize this. We don't just inherit salvation in relationship with Christ. This power is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And this power, Paul's prayer is that we would experience this. Understand. His incomparably great power, that's energy. For us who believe that power is the same mighty, that's ability, strength, might and force. This is why the resurrection matters. Right here. Right now. Here's the prayer. This is Paul's prayer. That we, you and I, would see with our own eyes the mega inherent power of God's very nature, which exceeds everything ever experienced, so that we would know by experience the energy of God's able strength. And if that has not been your experience of your relationship with Christ in this world, even during 2020, you're missing part of what it means. See, God has already showed us this mega, exceeding great power, surpassing all things in the resurrection. And it's the power of the resurrection that's accessible to every Christ follower. Now, this resurrection thing didn't begin with Jesus. There's a couple of people in the Bible who were resurrected before Jesus. Matter of fact, Lazarus was a man who was dead three days and resurrected. But this one, this Jesus resurrection, this was different than all the others for a number of different reasons. One, because this one, this death and resurrection finally took away the curse and the sting of sin and death. Absolutely. But this one, this resurrection of Jesus was different than the old resurrection of Lazarus. Well, how else was it different, Pastor Carl? Well, good. Thank you for asking. I'm going to tell you. One of the reasons this was different, this resurrection was different of Jesus and the old resurrection of Lazarus is because in this resurrection of Jesus, the miracle power of resurrection was transferred to those who were persuaded by it. Now this power becomes ours. And the incredible part of this whole deal is that in every instance, those words, this incredible resurrection power is used. It's used in the physical world. The energy of God's able power is something that is seen in the real world, just not felt internally. This is why the resurrection matters, because it literally changes everything. And as a Christ follower... You can know the supernatural, active power of God's dominion and rule and activity. I don't know why there are some Christians that are content just simply surviving this world till you get to the next. The next is a certainty if you've got a relationship with Christ, absolutely. 
But survival doesn't have to be your end in life. I don't know why some Christians simply scrape by carrying heavy loads and burdens, never able to unload. I don't know why. That is neither God's intent nor the prayer of the Apostle Paul. The resurrection power is just not for Jesus. It began with him, but it didn't stay with him. But the only way to access that resurrection power in the real world of your life is to accept the death and the resurrection of Jesus into your mind and your heart. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is in fact Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because the truth at the end of the day is, yes, in fact, the resurrection changes everything. And Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple and experience this resurrection power must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That means that we must submit to him as his authority over our life. It means that what he says, I now do. And it means that what the Bible teaches, I now choose to believe and obey. See, the fact is that yes, indeed, the resurrection changes everything, but it has to change me first. And so the question of the day is, will you invite the God of the resurrection into your life right now? It changes everything. I want you to close your eyes and pray with me. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about behavior. I'm not talking about obedience. I'm not talking about church stuff. I'm not talking about being a good person. I'm not talking about rules and regulations to obey. I'm not talking about things you got to get rid of. I'm not talking about things you got to change. I'm talking about things you got to get right. The resurrection changes everything if you accept it and are convinced of it and are propelled by it. So if you've never crossed the line of faith, I'm going to give you a chance to do that right now. I would encourage you to say something along these lines. God, thank you that you loved me with an everlasting love. Thank you that I cannot impress you and therefore I cannot disappoint you. Thank you that you loved me enough to send your son to die on the cross so my sins can be forgiven, so that I can be right with you. Jesus, I accept you as the leader of my life. I believe that you died and were raised to life, and I trust you with my life and my eternity. I give you permission to make me the person you created me to be.
Just keep your eyes closed and stay with me in this moment for just a moment longer. If you have a relationship with Jesus, but you have not yet understood nor experienced nor accessed the power of the resurrection, if for you it has been scraping by, it has been survival, you're confident of your eternity and that is a blessed hope. But you would say that the power of the resurrection, that has not been experienced yet. My prayer for you and my encouragement for your prayer for yourself in this moment to utter the words of Paul that we find in scripture and ask and tell the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better. Tell him, say, God, let the eyes of my heart be enlightened to know the hope to which you've called me, the glorious inheritance that you've already determined is mine and that I may know by experience, the incomparably great power that raised Jesus from the dead. God, that is my prayer. God, that is my desire. God, those are your words that I speak and pray over our lives. Amen. The resurrection matters because the resurrection changes everything. And God's power of resurrection is the visible expression of his love for his son and his love for you and me. And God's power of resurrection is because God wants us to experience resurrection power right now in this day, in this life, in this time. And God's resurrection power is his power, yes, to save a life for eternity, but we don't have to wait for eternity to experience that power his resurrection changes everything. You don't have to simply survive the onslaught of the devil or the demons because his resurrection changes everything. You don't have to live in fear of the future anymore because his resurrection changes everything. You know where I'm going with this. You don't have to wait for the power of the resurrection to die because the resurrection changes everything. Because he lives, the resurrection changes everything. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow because the resurrection changes everything. Because he lives, all fear is gone because the resurrection changes everything. Because he lives, I know he holds my future because the resurrection changes everything. Because he lives, my future and my present is in his ever-capable hand. Don't you leave yet, Sam. You need to hear this. Because his resurrection changes everything let's sing a song will you guys stand with us will you stand with us